Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now-ish. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Right Now-ish. I'm your trusty host, Pendarvis Harshaw. And I'm Marisol Medina Cadena, the Right Now-ish producer. Thank you all for tuning in. Today, I want to talk about this blurred line between poetry and journalism. You know, the act of asking questions and documenting history using the language of the people. Yes, and we're going to walk that blurred line with Spanglish-speaking pocho poet Josiah Luis Alderete. I've gotten to know him through his monthly open mic nights called Speaking Ashalot. His poems speak truth about colonialism and displacement, but are also imbued with irreverent humor for culture vultures of all kinds. America, after all this pinche pandemico desmadre is over with, will you still be known all over El Mundo for your wondrous acts of mega-consumerism? Will you be thin as a popote or bloated for eating all the stale pan dulce that was hidden in the bomb shelter, hair disheveled? Josiah is also a co-owner of a new bookstore on 24th Street in La Mision called Medicine for Nightmares, which used to be Alley Cat Books. Yeah, I like the new digs. I mean, I was only there for a portion of the conversation, mostly just hung out in the background and looked at books and took a couple of photos. But from where I stood, it looked like y'all really got into it. Josiah took me through literary history in the mission and the poetic science of the Ashalot. I'll bring you into our rainy day conversation after this. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. We're obviously going to talk about your book. On the cover is a picture of a salamander, indigenous to Mexico, has the cute grin and the the crown of feathery gills, and in Nahuatl, it's called the Ashalot. That's also part of the the name of your monthly poetry reading, speaking Ashalot. Yes. I'd love to know what does the Ashalot symbolize for you and that you use it in your writing. The Ashalot, for me, goes way back to my high school days. I went to a school that was not teaching writers that weren't dead white males. So basically I went to a very, very white school and never saw myself or my cultura in anything that was taught. That was the first place I was ever called a, a, a wetback 
I remember that quite distinctly. Uh, I remember not knowing what it was. Yeah, there, there was some other, there was a lot of other, other words used there too. But the last month of me graduating from this school, the English teacher gave us a short story to read uh, called The Ashalo, uh, which is a story of uh, Julio Cortazar. And I remember reading that story and, and, and connecting with it in, in some way that, don't get me wrong, I love reading other cultures and, you know, I love them dead white males. <laughs> They're great. You know, but um, I looked him up right after that. I was like, who, who, you know, who the hell is this? You know, I checked him out. From Cortázar, I found Marquez. From Marquez, I found Borges. From Borges, I found Silviano Campo. From Ocampo, I ended up Jimmy Santiago Vaca. You know, so it's Julio that got me jumping off to those other people. So it's kind of like a lot of times when you see me using the Asholo, it's kind of me giving like a tribute back to Julio and, and our cultura and kind of that first moment when I connected, you know, as a youngster. Does the the qualities of the Asholo in that like they regenerate anytime like a limb is cut off or an organ is cut off, does any of that have resonance for you too? Oh yeah, I mean, well, I have had moments when I realized that the reason we've uh, discovered this is because there's some weird nerdy dude in a science lab, like basically cutting off the lash limb. He's going, ah, you know, we can't hear that, but it does come back. But, you know, it's the resilience. You you mentioning the, the fact that we know a lot about ashalots is because like some scientist in a lab is cutting it up. I think that's the strange paradox in that like the ashalot in Mexico are at the brink of extinction yet they're like one of the most popular animals in research labs around the world, actually. I think of it maybe, it's also kind of like an allegory for like Latinx culture and that it's consumed, but then the people are like barely hanging on here in the city. Yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense. And that dissecting us, they're always yanking things off. Like, what's this taste like? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. That's a, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. I like that. After Josiah finished high school, he left Marin County and found his way back to the mission, the neighborhood he was born and raised in. At that point, it was the 90s, and Josiah started attending open mic events, immersing himself in the neighborhood's literary scene. I'd always go to City Lights. Because um, back then they were open till midnight. In the zine section, there was a, a book of poetry called Bad Dog Blues. And then in it, it said, uh, Bruce Isaacson reads uh, at the Cafe Babar reading series uh, in the mission. So I was like, what is that? I went to Cafe Babar and, and it was this tiny bar. And then you went down this hallway into another tiny room. And one of the walls was all corrugated metal. And that's where they had the readings. Whenever you'd show up, there was this huge, like, burlap sack of peanuts. And poets would be eating them. And, you know, there's, like, kind of these, these sort of poets that kind of held court there that were, like, kind of like the veterano poets. And you go up to read your poem. And if they didn't like your shit that you were reading, they would start throwing peanut shells against the corrugated wall. And, you know, you hit something against corrugated wall, it makes a loud-ass sound. But I'm just thinking these day and age, you know, the poetry readings are very, like, positive these days do you know what i mean everybody's like very like yeah you go you go you got it you know somebody fucks up a line they're like it's okay you know and there's like never and it's good it's good that they're like that you know but these ones here man 
it was an interesting place to cut your teeth. I'm coming from a background of like reading, you know, dead white males on the page. And here's these people screaming, you know, and screaming in a good way and, you know, telling truths and that term spoken word, <laughs> you know, that's what it was for me. Like I heard these guys, the thing with Cafe Babar is it was this place where like poets from all over came. So there was poets from the East Bay, like Julia Vinograd. Music aches through us cold as a kiss to our very bones. We try to focus on the ordinary. There was Fillmore poets. There was David Lerner, David West. We emerged from the subway holding our gleaming bouquets, redeeming one night from a week of Mondays with affection and lust. We lift our Jack Micheline, the old school beat poet from uh, New York, who ended up relocating here on Valencia Street. I saw him read there. And each poem is the last call, the last foghorn amid the concrete glass and spires of a city. The bar really opened my eyes and my, my heart to what poetry was. I remember leaving that place like, literally like leaving the church after you get saved. I mean, it felt like that. Like I left, like, this is floricanto. You know, this is poesia. This is poof, that fucking fire coming out of somebody's mouth, that truth. You know, people say North Beach is the heart of the literary scene in, in San Pancho and San Francisco. And I'd say, no, nah, man, it's the mission. Like the Nicaraguan poets were here, you know, Café La Boheme with all the gatherings back in the day. Um, La Lunana reading series at Galeria La Raza that was going on for so long and influenced so many people. Uh, the Pan Dulce poetry series. All the bookstores on Valencia Street, you know. Oscar Zeta Costa wrote here. They've been plays produced by Sherry Moriaga here. Um, you know, it's, it's a deep, the, 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 the mission has a deep literary cultura. It, it sounds like the bookstores, these open mic nights, and just like the life in the mission was really like developing your consciousness too and your, your skill set as a writer. Like that was really your education. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I barely finished high school, you know. So my education has always been bookstores. And now you are helping kind of keeping that literary scene alive or keeping it up by being one of the co-owners of this bookstore, formerly known as Alley Cat, now known as Medicine for Nightmares. What's your vision of this bookstore and how it can be a part of that ecosystem of literary spaces? There's three of us. We're th there's three owners here. Um, Tan Kang Kao, um, she's my bookstore sister. And then uh, J.K. Fowler, who's uh, the head of Nomadic Press, uh, this wonderful indie press uh, in Oakland is responsible for publishing way too many of our local poets that I can even count. I mean, they're, they're an amazing press. Um, although we're, we're together on it, I think in a lot of ways, each of us has our own series of things we want to achieve. So for me, it, it would mean so much for me to, to be part of that, that link that, that, to, to all of this, you know, um, in some way it would, it would mean so much. And I've, I've already seen it in a lot of examples. Like we've only been open a couple of months, but there've been moments that have been so deep that first week that, that mama came in with her with her mom and her daughter and they all got a book and then they left, the three of them left and then the mama came back, she was crying. And um, she said where she lived, there wasn't a place like this. Her little girl saw like brown faces on some of the children's books. It was a big deal and she came in and thanked us, man. That, that to me, it just blew me away when she did that. And we were so overcome, And we, but it was like a little sign, you know? It was literally like the fucking Virgen dropping the roses on your ass or something. I mean, it felt like that for me, you know, it really did. 
in the spirit of having community members come in and share their cuentos and their words, I want to have you read one of your poems from your book, Baby Ashlots and Old Pochos. Yes. The very, very first oh, one, okay. untitled. Untitled, sin titulo. The rules for Espanol in el carro or in la casa. The rules for Spanglish near the front door or on certain playgrounds. The rules for English near the Sizzler salad bar or whenever we talk about history. The rules for Nahua that I hear in my dreams. Pues no me acuerdo. You see, me accent, me gente, it goes way, way back. And it was not formed by the neighborhood I grew up in or the place that me familia is from. Now you see, me accent has been formed by all those things about ourselves that were not taught to us, by all those things that our ancestors were not allowed to say. Me accent has been formed by the forced violent migration of our gente by the mystical milagroso migration of our gente and along the way along miles and years between generations of talking blood and our children becoming our ancestors we have peeled and transformed the idiomas that we have been given so that we can believe what we're saying about ourselves. We've used what we've forgotten how to pronounce without even knowing it, man. Como constellations in el cielo, como slang direcciones to the party, como sagrado pronunciations of a ritual, como palabras that your abuelo spoke folded up in your corazón's memories. Through no fault of our own mispronunciations, our pinche tamales had one Castilian oliva each with a hole in a hole in a hole in a hole where what we were saying should have gone. Cuando we were little, we spread the palabras out on our abuelita's kitchen table. We'd mix the palabras up with frijoles and tortillas that Mama Grande would make for us. We could taste the history and what we were eating. We didn't know what it was. We just knew it tasted good. That was when I learned. That was when I first learned que the palabras that they give us no tienen sabor. The patron calls us another word for what we are. The religious man calls us another word for who we are. And so many of us end up believing them. Si no los ponemos trucha, they'll go ahead and lose us in between the lines. They'll go ahead and lose us in translation. You watch. Can you pronounce yourself with the words that they have given you, mi gente? Can you pronounce your cultura with the words that they have given you? After all this, we can and we do speak border because we have to. We can and we do speak very clearly with our ancestors' voices because we have to. I can 
speak just like my Tia Vanji in a dream. And I remember all of this cuando I pronounce and mispronounce these palabras. I picked that poem because I thought it it spoke a lot to this idea of like identity formation and memory keeping, which I think a lot of your poems do talk about, but also like what we've been talking about in this conversation. So I'm just curious, like, how do you see your poetry as like a form of culture keeping? I mean, black and brown poets, we're historians. I mean, art for a lot of us is all about survival and, uh, and survival is history is memoria. In a very small way, my, my poesia is keeping track of us, remembering the little things, you know, in the neighborhood. How do you think younger, younger Josiah would feel about being here in the space as a co-owner alongside two other poets owning a bookstore? It's really silly. I always dreamed these dreams, but now that I'm doing it, I'm like, how the hell did this happen? And so to flash forward and seeing the, the possibility that like my book is going to be on a shelf and one of these strange, awkward little Latinx test tube babies is going to come in and like pick it up and like hopefully read something in there that connects it. <sighs> That's a beautiful thing. I mean, because I did that, you know. I did that with Jimmy Santiago Baca. I remember opening that book and feeling that. If my poetry could do that to somebody, I think I got what I was supposed to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. That was Right Now is producer Marisol Medina Cadena talking to Pocho poet Josiah Luis Aldrete. Much love to Josiah for sharing your story and the history lessons on the mission's poetry scene. Documenting these artistic legacies, that's what this show is all about. To read more of Josiah's poems, you can find his book Baby Ashalots y Old Pochos on blackfreighterpress.com. Follow him on the gram at Josiah underscore Luis underscore Pocho. And I suggest following Medicine for Nightmares on Instagram. That's spelled as all one word, at Medicine for Nightmares. There, you can stay in the loop about upcoming author talks, book club meetups, art shows, and new books they got in stock. Plus, if you have an idea for programming you'd like to see happen there, Josiah says the bookstore team is all ears. So hit them up. We want the Fillmore Familia here, man. We want the Filipina Familias here. You know, we want people, anyone who can wants to use this space, they should have access to it in some way. So that's really what we're trying to do. But there are going to be a lot of poetry shows, don't get me wrong. Now, time to show some love to our dazzling team. Our editor is Jessica Plachik, Seal Muller is our engineer, and Corey Antonio Rose is our new intern. Welcome to the team, Corey. Our powerhouse engagement team is made up of Rhea Garawal, Justin Ebrahimi, and our great intern, Ashley Ng. Kiana Mogadam is the interim head of podcast, and KQED execs are David Marcus and Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Thank you again for listening. Y'all have a good one. Right Now-ish is a KQED production.
Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.